Well, today I want to share uh, some pretty amazing miracle stories, and I'll share some things that are well-documented medically. Your miracle that you're looking for may not have anything to do with physical health. It might be a spiritual need, emotional need, relational need, but take some of the same principles here because you're going to see in the context of these individuals that they had certain things that they did to cooperate spiritually with God. Sometimes a miracle is something that uh, received you know, instantly. Other times, you know, we're told that there are things that we do to cooperate with where God is leading us. You know, Jesus told uh, the one gentleman before he was healed, go wash in the pool of Siloam. You know, Elisha told the king, go to the river and wash in the river and then you'll be healed. So sometimes there's things that we are called to do. But again, you may not have anything near what these individuals have. But again, a powerful story can elicit powerful strategies. And so the principles here apply, whether we're looking at uh, something that has to do with a, a physical need, or maybe it's something, you know, just in our daily life that's about just searching out a, a deeper meaning, whatever it is. Let's start with Claire Hazer. Claire Hazer was given a diagnosis, pancreatic cancer, given just a, a short time to live, a matter of weeks. She was feeling ill, went in for some tests. They, they found the cancer tumor on her pancreas, and then they told her, you know, we'll call you for your next appointment. It, it was weeks away. She asked friends, why are they not calling me sooner? They said, because that means it's bad news. And when she went to the doctors, you know, she met with a few people, and they explained, you know, that uh, there's no reason to do surgery. Even though she knew about surgeries and treatments for cancer, they, they said it really is not uh, anything that's going to help you at this point. And so she had something that she decided to live by. She said, I decided to live with as much happiness as I could. What that means is when she left the doctor, she thought about people that she needed to reconcile with, that she needed to tell things that, uh, you know, I love you, appreciate you. She reconnected with some people. Before long, it was six months, and then six months becomes a year, becomes two, three, four, and then five years, she's still alive and healthy, and she's about to find out what happened to that tumor. We'll come back to her story here in just a moment. You know, Soren Kierkegaard, the philosopher in the 1800s, said, there are two ways to be fooled. One is to believe what isn't true. The other is to refuse to believe what is true. So we're going to look at something here from Luke chapter 23 about searching, knowing, living truth. Luke 23, this is Jesus before Pilate. The crowd says in verse 5, he stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. You know, when it comes to Jesus it's not something we can be left neutral. His, his teaching, we might be like the crowd here that says he stirs up people. I don't like it. We might be like Peter who says, where else would I go, Lord? You have the words of life. And maybe our prayer needs to be today, Lord, I need you to stir me up. Because Jesus calls us to be stirred up and to, to not remain where we are, but to be moved, to take action, to live differently, to make a new decision. One of the most uh, quoted quotes from a you know, personal growth standpoint is Napoleon Hill, who, of course, is the one who said, whatever the mind can conceive and believe, it can achieve. Whatever the mind can conceive and believe, it can achieve. We call that faith. 
You know, I'm going to give you some examples of some people and how faith interplayed with them. And again, a powerful story elicits powerful strategies. And so take the same principles from their lives and realize it starts, what can my mind truly conceive and believe? I'll give you an amazing example of somebody that achieved the unbelievable, and it's all on film. I'll show you that here in a moment. Let's talk about a man named Daniel. Daniel, back in 1950, he's a, a well-known case studied by Dr. Gotthard Booth. Here's why Daniel is so important. Daniel was a young man, angry, depressed, started to feel ill. The more ill he felt, more depressed. Then he got sicker, went to a doctor. He also was told you have cancer, given a short time to live. Here's why Daniel's case is so interesting from, a, from the medical community. He's the only known case of a spontaneous remission, is the medical term. We'd say miracle. And it's the only case where the patient was in therapy under psychiatric observation before his illness and then the onset development and the regression of that illness. So what happened to Daniel? His doctor, when he diagnosed him, said, you have months to live, said, what do you want to do before you die? And Daniel said, there's two things I think I want to do. I know I should do. I have put them off. He said, one, I know I'm called to be a minister. I want to be ordained. And two, I want to marry the love of my life. Some friends and family helped make those things happen. He was ordained. They put together a wedding for him and his wife. Same thing happened to him as, you know, this lady we talked about a moment ago. He started to get better and better and better. And the better he felt, the less depressed. The better he felt, even less depressed. Why did he start to change? Here's what Daniel shared. All that anger and depression. He started to focus on his wife and the love they shared. He started to appreciate daily life, and he also had a grandmother who he said was just this super kind person. And so he just gave appreciation for how much she poured herself into his life. And the ups and downs of Daniel's aggressive cancer, they mirrored his psychological state. When he was angry and depressed, he felt more ill. And then when he felt more ill, he got more angry and depressed. The cycle continued till it was broken when he started to focus on love and faith. And then one day he was feeling so good, went back to the doctor's cancer was gone. As I shared before, you know, state is 80% of it. Love is a state. Anger is a state. Passion's a state. Humor's a state. So is grief, depression. Resentment's a state. Faith is a state. Fear is a state. And you and I can change that state we are in by saying, you know, with our language that we use both, both, both verbally and internally. Do we speak words of faith or do we speak negativity and criticism? Do we think about things that our mind can conceive to say this is what's possible? Or do we say, you know, I just focus on what I've lost? How do we stand and use our, our physical body? Do we have energy and strength and appreciation for daily life? Abraham Maslow said in any moment, we have two options. One, step forward in growth or step back into safety. Growth, he said, must be chosen. 
over and over again. And fear must be overcome again and again. When fear rises up, that we stand up and begin to confess words of faith, that Jesus' words stir us to live different, have a new standard, and to walk in that. Let's go back to Claire Hazer. She didn't want to go back to the doctors for checkups. She said it was just a, a terrible experience to be told by these doctors this. She didn't want to go back to that facility. And so again, six months became a year, became two. She felt fine. Then it was three and four and five. Five years later, she's feeling great. She has some abdominal pain, goes to a different doctor. They run, you know, CT scans, x-rays. You know, they, they say she has a, a, a simple pain that they can treat. She says, what about the, the cancer, the tumor on my pancreas? They said, your pancreas is, is 100% healthy. They send all this back to her original doctor. She goes back to them. They review her case from five years before. They have the CT scans, the x-rays. They say, there's the tumor. And now here are the new scans, and there's no tumor. And she said, it's a miracle. And guess what the doctor said? They said, quote, my experience, quote, did not have any medical value. And then the doctors left the room. They refused to speak to her. So what does she do today? She speaks to people also looking for, you know, what they can do in their life if they face some terrible diagnosis and how they can also find, you know, whether it's healing through a miracle or healing through life changes. Because here's some things she said that she changed. She wanted to tell the doctors, here are things that I changed, but they didn't want to hear. We don't want to hear about the miracle, they said. So here's what she said she changed. One, her diet. She got rid of sugar. Sugar is the fuel of cancer. She secondly changed her lifestyle. She began to appreciate what is beautiful. Tell friends and family that she cared. And then as she said, she went through deep emotional and spiritual changes. Specifically daily practicing gratitude and doing the hard work of forgiving. And all that faith and all that positive change. One day she found herself completely a walking miracle. What the mind can conceive and believe, it can't achieve. Charles Spurgeon back in the 1800s said, Cheer up, Christian. Things are not left to chance. No blind fate rules the world. God has purposes and those plans are wise. Can never be dislocated let me give you an example you can look this up and see the video but his name is bob beeman b-a-m-o-n the american long jumper 1968 olympic games mexico city called the leap of the century here's what this man did now for us here this morning you can see this man he did the leap of the century. How far did he jump? 29 feet, two and a half inches. That is the distance across the sanctuary. It's impossible. 29 feet, two and a half inches is how far he jumped. Here's what's amazing. That record stood 
from 1968 until 1991. Another jumper broke that world record by a fraction of an inch. Because somebody saw what Bob Beeman saw when he said, I'm going to break the world record. He broke it by two feet. Because his mind could conceive it, believe it. He achieved it. You know, Tony Robbins, a great step for any positive change. He says the quality of your question determines the quality of your answer. The quality of your question determines the quality of your answer. You know, and many people, their daily thoughts are simply, why does this always happen to me? Or why does this never work out? You know, an example is if somebody says, you know, why can't I lose weight? When you ask a question, your mind's going to answer. If you say, why can't I lose weight? Your mind's going to say, because you're lazy. You need a better question. What if you said, how can I lose weight and enjoy the process? When somebody says, why does this always happen to me? A better question is, how can I produce an amazing result? How can I use this to grow? What is God trying to teach me so I can be a giver? There's a great example. If you think about somebody that had, you know, say rats in their garage. And if they, you know, clean the rats out of the garage and they were back the next day and clean the rats out again, they're back the next day. You know, it's not the rats that are the problem. It's something in the garage attracting them. So you go into the garage and you see there's garbage. So you got to clean out the garbage. You got to clean out what we call the terrain. Once you get rid of the garbage, the rats no longer come around. That's true from a, a physical standpoint. If we just eat junk food, you know, the, the rats are going to be, you know, I feel sluggish. I'm tired all the time. But emotionally, if we just have garbage, building up the train with resentments and angers and fears and doubts. Again, the crowd, they said, this man, he stirs up all the people. That we may pray, God, let me be stirred up. Let the train of my life be cleansed by his blood and my thinking be upon what is holy and pure and what's possible that I begin to to walk in, in the life that he offers and calls to me let me read Psalm 2410 which says it like this who is this king of glory the Lord Almighty he is the king of glory Christopher Holdsworth in a commentary shares glory. The word glory speaks of weightiness, majesty, honor, abundance, greatness, importance. Who is this king of glory? We talk about Jesus and know and experience him that there's a weightiness to our faith. We recognize his majesty abundance, greatness. That our faith is not a, a compartmentalized moment. That our faith is not a flippant thing. But that we say, you know what? 
His glory. That's what compels me. You know, Sherman Nichols shares about being in India, ministering there. He went to a, a communion service. And as he was preaching, there was an interpreter. And then he said they uh, were ending the service with communion and the interpreter was speaking the native language and he said, I didn't know what he was saying, but suddenly about half the people stood up and half the people remained in their seats. So he asked the translator, he said, what's, what's happening? The translator said this, these are the ones who are going to participate today. The rest remain seated because they don't feel worthy. They were all believers. But some who knew how they had lived that week said, you know what, the weightiness of his glory and where I've been living. I need to do some examination about my life, my choices. This man stirs up the people. May his words stir us as well. If you're feeling out of shape spiritually, I'll give you a final verse as we close here. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13. As you've heard me say, you know, when we read out of the book of Corinth, you have to remember that city was very sinful. Some of the new believers in Christ were compromising their faith, living in sin. And so Paul's writing to them that they might recognize the glory of Christ and this is how he ends the book of Corinth. There's a few verses of greetings after, but he ends the book of Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13. Here's what he says to all of us. If it applies to the church in Corinth and can change their life, imagine how much it can change our life because our circumstances are not what they are facing. They were living in a culture that uh, was so filled with sin. The word Corinth was a, another word used for sin. So Paul says this, verse 13, four things to do. He says, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave and be strong. Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. John Chrysostom, 400 AD, commentated on this verse. Here's what he shared, the word watch. He says too many people in Corinth were asleep. Perhaps our prayer is, God, wake me up out of my slumber. Second, stand fast in the faith. In Corinth, they were tossed about by all sorts of false religious beliefs may our stirring be focus on the truth be brave some translations have act like a man but as john chrysostom shares they played the coward too often and we stand up in faith and say wherever he leads there i shall follow And be strong. Too many were weak. We might pray this day and say, Lord, stir me up. Wake me up. 
I mean, to stand fast and strong in my faith, to be brave. Hold on to that truth. Lita Worthington, who went through her own health crisis, shared this. I would go through this challenge all over again because it was during this trial in my life that God grabbed my attention. When we start to say the weightiness of His glory stirs me to live a whole different life. John Gaston shares it like this as we close. A few years ago, my wife and I got to go to Niagara Falls for a vacation. I'd always heard it was a beautiful sight, but in the back of my mind, I kept thinking, it's a waterfall. What's the big deal? When we got there, I was in awe. What I saw just took my breath away. No picture, no video, no words can describe the beauty. If you haven't been there, I can't explain it. It was just awe-inspiring. But I noticed something odd. I noticed that the workers at the visitor center and the restaurants and other buildings, they didn't seem overwhelmed. They weren't awestruck by the falls. They were not affected as we were. They had become so familiar with the falls, it had become common to them. It had lost its attraction. It had lost its sense of wonder. That is a spiritual danger as well. May we never become that way toward God. May Jesus never become so familiar that he fails to inspire awe in us. Are you out of shape spiritually? Watch. Stand fast in the faith. Be brave. Be strong. Allow Jesus to stir up inside that calling to live the life that is truly life.